I'm James Brian Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. Today's thought from above is this. The resurrection is the foundation for everything. If you missed the pod episode or this is your first time listening, this is a podcast for what we call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to set their minds on things above. That's where the name of the podcast comes from, from Colossians 3, 1 and 2, where Paul encourages us to set our minds on things above. Setting our minds on good, beautiful, and true thoughts, on uplifting, encouraging, life-giving, biblically-based thoughts from above is not easy. And that is why we do this podcast, to provide for you in each episode a thought from above that you can dwell upon so that your heart will be warmed and you will become an epiphany of grace. As many of you know, the name of this podcast comes from Colossians 3, where two times Paul uses the phrase, things above. In 3.1, he says, seek the things that are above, since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that, that are above. And then in verse 2, he says, set your minds on things above. But to understand what Paul is asking us to do, to seek or to set our minds on things above, we have to understand the larger picture, the larger story. Because if I just say, hey, um, you should set your mind on things above, you might go, okay, but I mean, what am I supposed to do? Look in the clouds? I don't know what you mean by that. What does it mean to set our minds on things above or to seek the things that are above? And so the answer to that is we have to look at the larger Christian story. You might even say we have to look at the gospel because the word gospel means good news. The Greek word for gospel is euangelion. It's where we get the word evangelism. And it was a very common word in Jesus' day, but it was used primarily uh, by the Romans who would use it to proclaim headlines. It was kind of the, the headline news during the time of Jesus. So a common gospel, or euangelion, would be this. Hear ye, hear ye, Caesar is Lord and has conquered another country. So the person who gave that proclamation, the evangelist, would announce from kind of like a podium what we would call big news. And the big news was, oh, guess what? Caesar is Lord. He rules all things. And here's another sign of the power of Caesar. So when the Christians adopted that word, when the gospel writers took on that phrase, the gospel according to Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, well, they were saying something pretty important and shocking and astonishing. Because the gospels, the euangelions of Jesus' day, were all about the rule of the Roman Empire. And the implication was, Caesar is Lord of the world. So here comes the Christians and they say, no, I think um, someone else is Lord of the world. And they start using gospel or good news to refer to what Jesus had done. And this was shocking. The implication was very clear. Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord of all. So that was the gospel. That was the story. But there's a larger story behind it. Now, I've been studying Colossians three for a long time. But not too long ago, I uh, came upon a commentary written by my good friend, New Testament scholar Scott McKnight, 
He's been a part of the Apprentice Institute work for a long time. And I did not know that Scott had written a full commentary on Colossians. So I got it. And in fact, I told Scott, one of my spiritual practices this year is to go through his commentary. So I, so I said to Scott in an email, I'm going to be with you every morning because <laughs> I'm going to be reading your, your brilliant commentary on Colossians. And so I've been studying it. And boy, have I learned new insights into what all of this means, especially what it means to set our minds on things above. So back to this idea of gospel. Scott believes that the core message of the early Christians is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. In fact, Scott calls this the four-line story, really simplifies it. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5, we have this basic story. Christ Jesus died. Christ Jesus was buried. Christ Jesus was raised. And Christ Jesus appeared. Paul basically says that. Here's the gospel that we have been given. And then he says those things. Jesus died, was buried, rose, and appeared. And there is a, an implication or fifth part of this gospel, and that is that he now lives. He rules and reigns forever. So the central part of the story, the shocking part, the part that makes all of the difference, is that third line of the four-line story, and that is this, Christ rose. The resurrection is central. If Jesus did not resurrect, if Jesus just died and was buried like any other person, and the story just ends there, well, our faith is in vain, as Paul would say. Jesus was just a good teacher, like a lot of other teachers, and he died. But if he rose from the dead and appeared, which the disciples all claimed and gave their life for that claim, if that happened, then the entire world has been changed. As Scott puts it, the resurrection is the foundation for everything in our faith. Okay, so we have this all clear. The gospel, the shocking good news, is that Jesus died, was buried, rose and appeared, and now lives. So what does that mean for you and for me? Put simply, by our faith in Jesus as Lord, we are now immersed in a new reality. Notice I said immersed, which means washed or cleansed and soaked in something. And that is important because that something that we're washed and cleansed and soaked and now living in is Trinitarian reality. And this is symbolized in our baptisms. That's why Scott McKnight will say that the entire passage from Colossians 2.20 to Colossians 3.4 is baptism theology. In other words, this notion that we died and rose with Jesus, symbolized in baptism, is the foundation for this new story and is the key to setting our minds on things above. Because that theology says that we who believe in Jesus are dipped into the death of Jesus and we rise with him from that water in union with him in his resurrection. And that's why baptism has been an important practice for Christians for 2,000 years. Now, the mode of baptism, people can choose, right? Some people sprinkle and dunk and immerse, and you do all kinds of very diff different things. That's not what's crucial. Scott would also say this isn't just a, an inner spiritual reality. It is a sacramental reality. We're stepping into a new kind of existence. 
We're not saved by the water. That's just a symbol. But we are saved by being moved into a new way of living. Last Sunday in our church, a young girl who's 12 was being baptized. And our pastor, Jeff, he asked her how she felt about being baptized. He'd been meeting with her for a few weeks. And so he gave her the mic, and she turned to the congregation. She said, this is a really big step in my life. I'm very excited to live closer to God. And it just melted, I think, everyone's heart in that congregation because she's 12 years old. And what did she? this is a really big step in my life. I want to live closer to God. So why was this a big step, as she put it? Because the gospel, the good news, summons us to enter into the death and resurrection of Jesus, here it comes, in order to walk in new creation life. Let me say that again. In order to walk in new creation life. And anytime you talk about new, it presupposes that we no longer walk in the old way of life. And that's what Paul has in mind with this idea of setting our minds on things above. But we have to start, as Scott said, in Colossians 2.20, because this is the beginning of new creation theology, new creation anthropology, what God has done and who we are as a result. Colossians 2.20, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Okay, there's a bunch here. Notice the identical wording of Colossians 2.20 with Colossians 3.1. In Colossians 2.20, it says, since you died with Christ. And Colossians 3.1 says, since you've been raised with Christ. And there's a parallel there for a reason. So both of these passages begin with the word since. What does the word since mean here? Since qualifies the condition. So since you died with Christ, that's 2.20, you're no longer under the rule and authority of the things of this world. And what does that mean? Scott describes this as the way the world thinks and acts. So, you and I have died with Christ. We died to the way this world thinks and acts. And we all know pretty well what that means, because the kingdoms of this world, back in Jesus' day and to the present, they run on violence and subjugation, on money, sex, and power, on treating people as objects, on selfishness and greed. I don't think I need to go on. Just watch the news. Now, here's the point. You and I are dead to this. We don't have to walk in these ways. Why? Because we died with Jesus. So now we go up to Colossians 3. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Okay, here we go. Remember 2.20, Colossians 2.20, since you died with Christ. Now, Colossians 3, since you've been raised with Christ, what? We're all new people. And just as the Father raised Jesus from the dead and seated Jesus at his right hand, so the Father also raised us up and seated us with him. Okay, with all this background now, let's hear Colossians 3, 1 through 4 again. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, 
then you will also appear with him in glory. So we've been raised with Jesus, and our lives have been hidden with Christ in God. Where? With Christ. With Christ. And where is that? Above, seated at the right hand of the Father. So once again, what does this mean? Does this mean that you and I are to spend our time gazing at the clouds? No, no. You know the old cliche, the person who's so heavenly-minded they're no earthly good. That's not what Paul's saying. We are to live in this world, but in a different way. We're to live in this world on the basis of the rule of Christ over everything, including our lives. Because here it is, you and I actually have no life of our own. For you and I, who've, been, who've died and been risen with Christ, we don't have any private interests of our own. You and I died and rose, and we lived with Jesus, and therefore, all of our interests are His interests. When you and I set our minds on things above, we are thinking about the rule of Christ. Jesus created the heavens and the earth, and he now rules over everything. That's the truth. Let me let Dr. McKnight get the last word on all of this. Here's what Scott writes. On the basis of our co-resurrection with Christ, we are to seek to participate in new creation life by directing our faith and lordship toward Christ who rules all of creation. That rule is not yet visible to all, but someday will be. As Paul says, when Christ who is your life appears, you will appear with him in glory. To seek the things above then means to live a life on earth under the resurrected King Jesus as the Lord of all creation, with the implication that Caesar and the rulers of this world are not our true Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I hope you join me next time. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the Things Above podcast, you can do so on our website, apprenticeinstitute.org. Click the Donate Now button at the top of the page. It's really easy and it would mean a lot to me. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, and you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above. <laughs>